Chapter Nineteen of Two Sides to Every Question by Maud Jean Frank. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kirsty. Chapter Nineteen: The Marriage at Clinton Park. Arthur Delta, in his suffering and need, was not entirely forgotten by his own relatives. One of the first things Lily Clinton heard on her return from Port Elliot with her mother was Jane's account of her cousin's unsuccessful effort to see her. Why had he been so evidently disappointed at finding her from home? For Jane's description had been very graphic and very feeling also. She could only imagine one solution to the problem, that he had heard in some vague sort of manner a rumour of Elsie's approaching marriage, and had come to learn the true facts of the case from her. She was confirmed in this idea by the very evident distress the news of the absence of all the family, of herself in particular, appeared to occasion him. This was according to Jane's account. "'Poor fellow,' thought Lily. "'What a pity he ever came to the colony. More especially, what a pity he ever indulged in such worse than futile dreams. What a shame that Elsie ever gave them any encouragement, when she knew she had nothing to bestow on him.' What else could he want but either negation or confirmation of the facts, some tidings of which must have reached him? So she thought it out to herself, and she felt that if that were indeed all he wanted, she should congratulate herself on her absence. For what indeed could she have said? How soften the truth which she felt sure must prove distressing to him? Jane, however, had spoken so decidedly of his altered appearance that her fears were awakened and in spite of her solution to the problem, she could not avoid feeling very uneasy. After all, he was her cousin, and far away from his own home, and if he really was ill or suffering, would she not be culpable to neglect him? She did not believe that even her father would cancel that. His poverty was no crime, neither, for the matter of that, was his love. These were rather his misfortune, and were certainly not to be treated as crimes. Of course her father was right in not desiring a misalliance for his daughter, and doing everything in his power to prevent it, nipping at once in the bud, as he thought, any chance of such a thing occurring. Still, all that would not justify them in forgetting the tie of relationship by which they were bound. So Lily reasoned to herself that night, and as a result of the reasoning resolved to find out not only the cause of Arthur's visits, but the reason for his illness, if illness there really was. So anxious was she to smooth down everything unpleasant, that no shadow might remain to throw its gloom over the coming bridal. There was but little time left for either inquiry or help. On the Tuesday the steamer was expected to arrive, bringing with it Mr. Clinton, Elsie, and her betrothed. There was only Monday left for every arrangement. It was therefore not till late in the afternoon that Lily Clinton drove into Adelaide to give various orders, finally stopping at her father's office to inquire for her cousin. There she heard the tale of his terrible illness, how little hope there was of his recovery, and how entirely unconscious he was of everything around him. "'It appears he has been ill some time, Miss Clinton,' said Mr. Wright. "'It has been gradually coming upon him, though Dr. Byer says that the climax was the result of some sudden shock to the nervous system. I'm afraid, poor fellow, there's but little chance for him.' Lily was much distressed. "'I shall go and see him at once,' she said decidedly. "'Will you have the kindness to give me his address? "'As you say, he has changed his residence. "'Of course, Mr. Wright, you were aware we knew nothing of this. "'My father would be greatly displeased to hear of his wanting help or advice. "'He is in good hands and perfectly cared for, Miss Clinton. 
Do not be uneasy, but I have no doubt it will be a relief to Mrs. Alton to see you, he returned, handing her the card on which he had written the address. She bowed rather haughtily, and giving her orders, the carriage drove rapidly away. So that is what it has ended in. Poor Arthur! A most unfortunate thing he has made of his colonial life. But are we responsible? It was a question that made her very uneasy, though it also had its two sides. Her father had certainly meant well, and acted kindly towards his sister and her son, and it was Arthur's own fault that he was not contented with cousinly regard. He might have had the sense to know that he was no match for Elsie, and he ought to have resisted such an absurd idea before it grew beyond his power. There was wrong on both sides of the question, but which was the greater? Lily stopped at the Alton's door, with her mind full of all kinds of offers of assistance, but her voice was hushed, her pride subdued, as she stood by her cousin's bed, and saw how grievously changed he was, so changed that she would not have recognised him, and heard her sister's name again and again in the loud wailing tones of delirium. "'What can we do?' she asked in great distress, her eyes overflowing with tears as she turned to the sweet motherly face of Mrs. Alton. "'If we had only been at home when he was first taken ill, he might have been brought to us.' "'Perhaps it is better as it is, Miss Clinton,' said Mrs. Alton gently, as she followed Lily from the room. "'Your sister, I hear, is returning home, and—forgive me, but under the circumstances—' "'I know, I know,' said Lily, dashing away her tears. "'It has been a most unfortunate affair. My father did his best to avert it. Please spare no expense, and procure every assistance. We will make ourselves responsible for everything.' I am sure, she added in low tones, my cousin has fallen into kind hands, but surely he will recover. Does the doctor hold out no hope? Could he not have further advice? Dr. Byer is a high authority, Miss Clinton, and though he holds out little hope, he still says that he has good constitution and youth on his side. If he does recover, he advises a return to his friends in England as most likely to render a recovery permanent. Lily Clinton drove back to town and got an interview with the doctor himself, but received no further intelligence from him. "'Save him, if you can, doctor,' she urgently exclaimed. "'You may rest assured I shall for his own sake, Miss Clinton,' he said rather brusquely. "'His is too fine a life to be sacrificed so early.' So Lily went home with a troubled conscience, having been able to accomplish but little, and with the memory of that restless moaning wail, "'Elsie! Elsie!' in her ears. "'It is as well,' she said to her mother on her return home, as they talked the matter over together in the quiet drawing-room. "'It is as well that we were not at home, and that he is not here, poor fellow. That, under present circumstances, would have been terrible. Besides, he is with good, kind people. That Mrs. Alton seems quite refined in her manners, and he has the best possible advice.' "'Yes, Lily,' said Mrs. Clinton. It decidedly is a good thing that we were not at home. What reception could we have given to Mr. Canthor and Elsie with such an illness in the house? We must see that he wants for nothing. As it is, she added dolefully, if anything happens, it may delay the marriage. At any rate, Mamma, we need not tell Elsie anything about it. It would be a pity to damp her happiness, poor child, for it could not possibly do any good. Certainly not. It will be an easy matter to account for his absence. She will scarcely expect to see him, thought Lily, as she gloomily went off to her room. And so it came to pass that the shadow touched not the brightness of Elsie's return to her old home. 
what a lovely place it looked after her long absence from it how proud she was to point out its beauties to her betrothed as they drove from the port through the hot sunshine finally turning in at the large gates after that hot drive the fine avenue of trees that sent their shade across and across the carriage road leading to the house was doubly inviting home had never appeared so fair to elsie as it did now she was about to leave it and she wondered to herself if her future home would ever seem as fair as she sprang lightly from the carriage before either mr canthor or her father were aware of her intention and running up the steps stood on the broad piazza looking round her at the dear familiar objects an overwhelming sense of her position oppressed her and to mr canthor's alarm and lily's intense dismay she threw herself into her arms in a passion of tears tut tut exclaimed mr clinton pettishly in reply to his wife's distressed look of inquiry the child's tired and excited take her away lily a little rest and a good dinner by and by will make all right there's nothing the matter canthor she's happy enough how can she help it whispered amy lee who had been easily persuaded to return to the park to assist in the bridal arrangements it does not seem much like happiness at any rate said lily as elsie went off with her mother and her maid leaving her sister to take charge of amy why naturally she's excited seeing you all under the circumstances but it's a splendid match canther scarcely knows the extent of his wealth and she will make the loveliest bride he is so proud of her they need not have troubled themselves it was only a little sun-shower after all it passed away as quickly as it came leaving her as ever sweet and fair and lovely in semblance but so shallow so very shallow elsie had come home determined to dazzle her adelaide friends with the splendour of her wedding and she was soon wildly and joyously entering into the details of a most elaborate preparation she had no serious thoughts to give to it the glitter and the eclat of the thing blinded her eyes to everything else the splendid and expensive trousseau was soon in rapid progress for mr clinton would not have any portion of it purchased in melbourne as he declared that an adelaide bride should do honour even in her dress to her own city in the midst of the bewilderment of lace and silk and jewels there were triumphant receptions and introductions while the beauty of the bride and the wealth of the bridegroom were in everybody's mouth meanwhile no tidings of arthur's illness crossed with its dark shadow the brightness of those days mr clinton had necessarily been told had called to see his nephew and had daily intelligence from the doctor of the progress of the illness but no one told elsie that one whose heart she had crushed by her thoughtless toying lay sick unto death she had asked for him on her first arrival but lily had put her off with the careless words oh you must not expect to see him elsie that would be rather too much i should think he might come it is very silly and ill-natured of him she answered colouring like a rose i think he is much wiser to keep away said lily and there the matter dropped indeed what between the engrossing attentions of mr canthor and the exciting preparations which required her constant presence elsie had little thought for anything else but the one engrossing question of her approaching marriage very beautiful was elsie on her bridal morning her fair hair floating like a cloud amidst the filmy delicate lace that fell around her she was very pale but the irrevocable words once spoken the congratulations that poured in on every side flushed her cheek with triumph i almost wish i could have said good-bye to arthur poor fellow and have asked him to forgive me 
"'I hope you will not mind it very much,' she whispered to Lily, as surrounded by her bright laughing bridesmaids, she laid aside her bridal costume and assumed her elegant travelling dress. "'Better not for both,' said Lily, vexed at her sister's little depth of feeling. She was sorry the next moment she had said it, for Elsie turned so penetrating and alarmed a look upon her. But whatever she thought or feared, there was no time to express it now. All was bustle and excitement. Mr. Canthor was waiting impatiently at the hall door. The next moment she was lifted into the carriage and driving rapidly through the park gates. Elsie Clinton was Elsie Clinton no longer. Through that day and through that night, in the Alton's little home, there were terribly anxious watchers. Life and death were having their final struggle. Which would gain the victory, none could tell. There seemed but little hope and much to fear. But towards night the weary muttering ceased. Elsie's name was no longer wailed forth as it had been so feebly, so painfully. The terrible moan for past sin was hushed, and Arthur Delta lay in a heavy stupor for many hours. Through all, the doctor anxiously shared their watch. End of chapter 19